Seed Source, your home for here. Have some sunflower seeds for your pocket. My name's Nathan, your most Zelensky host. My name's Andy, your most not going to pay taxes on my new Russian tank host. <laughs> and I'm Pat, your I don't need a ride, I need ammunition host. Oh uh, man, I think I say this later in the episode, but uh, at least in the West, uh, <laughs> Ukraine may not be winning the actual war, but they're definitely winning the online flame war. Uh, like, <laughs> meaning a bunch of people in the West are, like, propagandizing the the shit out of the Ukrainians on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. So, Ukrainian Twitter... The, uh, the, the Twitter for the country of Ukraine was throwing shade and telling, encouraging people to tell Russia what they thought about them, like, live during the invasion. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. <laughs> See, I think, yeah, there's, there's the West's take on the Ukrainian, uh, response to all this, but like, but, there's also just the Ukrainian response right, to how no, Ukrainian sure. is dealing. <laughs> like, Ukraine is the one, there, there's, I, I don't want to make the whole episode about this, obviously, but there's, I think one of the videos that sums it up best is there's a video out there that you can find of Putin sitting down with a group of, I believe, youth in uh, Russia. And Putin, throughout COVID, has had this thing where he doesn't want to be anywhere near anybody else. There's a bunch of photos of him, like, meeting with his defense minister, but his defense minister is at the other end of a very long table. Mm-hmm. And so this video shows Putin uh, sitting right next to these these students and like gesticulating with his arms and everything, but his hand goes straight through a microphone <laughs> where they had clearly just like photoshopped him and like green screened him into this video. And so the video I'm talking about is Zelensky shows the like ten seconds of this like doctored video of Putin and without saying a word, just, like, comes on and takes the microphone in front of him and just moves it slightly over to the right. End of video. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Wow. So I think this is, like, you, you know that old line, uh, don't start a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel? <laughs> I think... The the lesson here might be like don't start a war with a country with a comedian for a president if you don't want to get flamed over and over again. That's great. But speaking of which, speaking of flames, uh how's your guys this week? Good. It's been uh pretty busy. Yeah? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I've been at this new job for a little while. Their their expectations are really high. I want to meet those expectations, but it's, you know, they they changed the protocol the way we do one of the main type of cases that we get, like, last week, and it's taken people a while to adjust to it, but they still want the same, like, quotas out of us, basically. So if a case that used to take, like, half an hour, 45 minutes, now takes, like, two and a half hours, you still have to try to make that up during the rest of the day. It's it's a little rough, but, um, you know, I mean, I want to do a good job, so I'm trying really hard. Andy, you have anything going on? Yeah, I mean, some stuff. Um, Caitlin and I are um, in the process of closing on our house. Our close date is supposedly March 30th, I think. Um, So that's That's the day I think we're supposed to get, like, get the key and take the picture out front, you know. Um, That's awesome. 
That's exciting. Yeah. And you're not very far from, like, a lot of the D&D crowd. Like, you're not moving really very far. No, I'm not. Um, it's it's a few blocks away, but, like, it's it's walking distance from my current house, really, uh, in nice. good yeah. weather. <laughs> um, but it's... <laughs> I mean, technically, it's walking distance in bad weather, too. Well, yeah. You just, just don't want to do it. I just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a, just a beautiful house. It's gorgeous. It's, it really is. The pictures yeah. online are lovely. Um, and I'm and so excited we'll, for you guys. Yeah, we'll make sure to put up your exact new address in the doobly doo. <laughs> I was, I was trying to get around that because I was like, oh, what neighborhood is it in? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right. But I, I know, um, I know what neighborhood it's in. So, but I'm definitely like, it's going to take some, uh, Sweat equity, as they say, um, to to bring it back Sweat to life. Quitty. So Sweat equity, I believe, Sweat is quitty, the yes. term we yeah, landed I've, on. I've decided that um, I'm, my my goal is just to slowly portmanteau the entire language down into one word. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, we're getting closer every week. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. Um, <laughs> That's gonna be next week's pod. W- want it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a very exciting time, but also very stressful. So, but I think you uh, just described, I think you just described modern day life. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is very true, but I, I am finding that I am able to help, um, decrease the stress and worry by making spreadsheets. So it's nice to know that I'm a robot. So I know a lot of people use like lists, like to-do lists or things like that, and that helps them like stay organized. But um, can you tell me a little bit about the spreadsheet? Like, what do you like about spreadsheets? I mean, uh, more information. It's two-dimensional information. So on a just a simple level, if I'm making a to-do list. All I can do is list, for example, in this case, like I can list out the, the repairs that I want to do in the house, right? Mm-hmm. But with a spreadsheet, I can have this list of repairs and for each one of those repairs next to it, I can have an estimated price, a quote from a professional. Um, I can how long have, it's going to take, how long it's going to take, when do I need to get it done by? So when do I need to start it by? Um, right. You know, all, I think that'd all be sorts very of important. information. So, um, there's just a lot more information in there. And then on top of that, just spreadsheets and, and I mean, Google sheets because it's shareable, but Excel, Microsoft Excel really is the, um, I mean, but it's like basically the, the same program, program right? Like you can do, right. You can, you can basically do everything in sheets that you can do in Excel right. with the same calculations, I think. Yeah. And, um, for the most Excel's part, it's a little it, bit better. It's a little less so, user friendly. Excel is a little bit more user friendly, I find. But mm-hmm. okay, but um, but there's so but much that you comparable. can do by by using the functions there. It'll you can um you can count stuff total min max. You can um just all sorts of useful information at the click of a button. So I gotta say, Andy, your nerd stock is skyrocketing. <laughs> like your street cred for for nerddom, because like I knew you were a nerd. Like we're all nerds, but huh. right value yeah. just went up like fifty percent. I um, yeah. yeah. You don't even this. This is without any of the like just random math stuff that I think about. 
Nice. Well, that's awesome. Right, congratulations. It's very, very anyway. exciting for you guys. Yeah, I'm very happy for you guys. Thank you, thank you. I'm very excited to uh, to have uh, my friends over, and, and maybe I'll have you guys over, too. <laughs> oh, but I'm pumped. Our, our work colleagues. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I So, you guys were kind enough. We were supposed to record this chunk of this episode, like, an hour and a half ago, because I said, I'm coming back from visiting Lexi in Toledo, and, uh, of course, it took longer than I thought it would, and I was, like, looking for less expensive gas in mid-Ohio, which I failed on. Um, so, um, but I did get enough gas to get back home, so everything worked out well. But I would like to talk about my younger nephew, Milo, for a moment. Um, I don't know why, but I haven't realized up until this visit what a true agent of chaos this little man is. He's a year and a half old, so I didn't he already set up the fart ninja throughout the house? Uh, there, there's that, but that that toy was primarily for Frankie, my older nephew. But like, they both definitely enjoy it. Um, there's like, let me just give a couple of examples. So if you're on a phone call, uh, Milo will not only try and grab the phone because like kids like the phones and all the games and everything like that. Um, but he will like, he knows where the hang up button is and he'll just hang up in the middle of your conversation <laughs> when you're trying. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> so, uh, if he's, if he's wow. having a snack, he, like if he wants a snack, he'll like actively like cry about it. Like give me this snack. And then when you give him a snack, cause the, uh, Lexi, uh, and Nicole are trying to be very careful about like not putting particular weight on any given food. Like, they don't want to, like, give the the boys any sort of, like... They, they don't want to make eating any harder for them uh, than it already is for all of us. Um, but he'll, like, ask for a snack and ask for it and ask for it. And when he finally gets it... For example, I gave him a, a little piece of banana. And so he takes the banana, he looks at it for maybe a second and a half, and then like whips it at the ground and oh immediately tries to stomp on it with his foot. <laughs> like really Milo, you have been asking for this thing for a while and then you finally get it and then immediately throws it on the ground and tries to stomp on it. I did. I grabbed him before he stomped on it. So I still threw it away, but I didn't at least have to kill a uh, clean up like mushed banana off the ground. Wow. Um, and sometimes he'll just what like was if that the dog's around, slip in there. <laughs> you didn't have oh, to. Oh, I missed what I said. Oh, you didn't have to kill anyone. Oh yeah. Well, also oh. I didn't have to kill anyone. But also, like the dog is a, a like is a food monster. You can't have any food. And it's also learned that it's a good idea to follow Milo around because up until now he's the sen- like he's still kind of a baby, right? But like when the baby has a snack. Essentially, the dog Freester has a snack too, because she'll just come up and like eat it straight out of his hand. Mm-hmm. And so he's learned this from walking around with snacks and having the dog steal it over and over again. So now sometimes he'll also like, if he's not like smushing it under his foot, he'll ask for a snack and then just immediately hand it to the dog. They're like, <laughs> they're like co, co-conspirators in this whole thing. It is incredible. So, uh, he's just like a, like I said, a little agent of chaos. Whatever thing he can interact with, he finds the most sort of like chaotic, destructive thing he can do with it. 
and uh, I am here for it. I, I love him desperately, and <laughs> I hope as he can talk, it gets harder for him to, like, justify doing these things, but who knows. <laughs> Speaking oh. of Agents of Chaos, Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Was that, was that a good transition? Whoa. Did I get it? So, we, we have a very special guest coming on for this episode. Oh my goodness. Such a special guest. And the fact that Vladimir she's- Vladimir Putin! Oh wait, no. <laughs> that would no. be a very special guest. Although we definitely can't afford an interpreter, so it would be a very confusing, uh, interview that we did with him. Yeah, I feel like- he... <laughs> Yeah, he just talks in Russian. Right, and we would, we would speak in English and neither of us would understand the other. Well, I'm pretty sure he has an interpreter. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he'll I, understand us. I'm not I'm not paying him. Um so I feel like there's there's an old saying, right? Uh fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on them. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says fool me once, shame on shame on you. It fool me, we can't get fooled again. And I think now it, it's it's what? Jen Briney's fault, right? That she came back. Like oh, we yeah. we tricked her the first time, and then she agreed to it again, and we were shocked because she was such an amazing guest the first time, and this time is no different. She went the whole nine yards and even lied to us about enjoying our uh, talking to us. <laughs> right, she did. So. Yeah. So I I pre-listened to our audio segment and uh, like spoilers, but Jen is very well informed and. Wonderful as always, and just kind of a joy. I'm sorry that I wasn't around for the actual interview, but totally understandable. Like literally, we we tried to talk because she was so generous to like share her time with us. But she had a one hour window over the next month or so, and we we're like, yes. But it just so mm-hmm. happened and that one hour window was during most people's like work day. Yeah, right. Partly because she's currently in Europe, as you'll hear in in the audio. But yep. um, you know, it it's, it makes sense. It's reasonable. It's it's a bummer, but I have a feeling that we will be able to get her on again another time if if uh, we need her expertise on something. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. Absolutely, it's just a yeah, just a phenomenal guest. We. Again, mm-hmm. uh, I am flabbergasted at the level of guests we are able to get on this show. So, so if any of our listeners don't know, um, which I don't know how you could possibly not know, but um, it's going down in Ukraine right now. It's kind of wild. Nah. Uh Yes. Also, yes. So now it's been a couple of weeks, but um, like, uh, I'm, I'm practicing my Russian because we're we're gonna you know. We're all going to be taken over by by Putin. He's going to rebuild the oh, Soviet yeah. Union and take over the world. So mm, probably, <laughs> um, but yeah. So for for the last couple of weeks, um, they had been building forces at the border, and uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, they have actually full on invaded um, Ukraine. Now for the second at least time. I don't know how many times they've done it before, because um, I know the Bolsheviks also invaded. Uh, in like the twenties, but um, if you're talking about modern invasions of Ukraine, because they also invaded uh, the, well, technically invaded, they they nice. had a, a military base. Turns out they Crimea. stayed there in 2014. Yeah, but also so, took Crimea from right. the Ukrainian government. Right, and well, we yeah. we talk about that with Jen too. Yeah. We don't have to explain it here because we explained it there. 
Yeah, um, so, so but, why don't why don't we cut it. to the audio and then uh, we can bullshit afterwards? Yeah, sounds good. All right, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Jen Brennan. So I want to welcome back to the pod, uh, friend of the podcast and host of the Congressional Dish podcast, Jen Briney. Hey, welcome back, Jen. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Uh, and for our guests, because I know that you are a digital nomad these days, where, where are you right now? Right now I am in Lisbon, Portugal, and I've been living in Portugal now for two and a half months, and my visa is about to expire, so <laughs> I come back to the States in a few days, but yeah, Fair I've been enough. here for the run-up of the war and all of it. It's been um, an interesting time to be in Europe. Yeah. Wow. Way closer to the action than us. Yeah, still not but like, still close. not <laughs> that close. I no, mean, we're no. like two time zones away, so yeah. I'm not all that concerned right. for my safety. Right. And you have... Do you probably have different media choices there for following mm-hmm. what's been going on than yeah. we do? Yeah, it's been kind of Well, fun. I mean, it's mainly Western media that I can get in English. I do have Al Jazeera here. Okay. But I've been watching like Deutsche Welle, um, BBC World, Sky, France 24. Um, there's something called Euro News, which is sometimes in English. So... Yeah, I've just been watching, and then I have CNN everywhere I go too. But sure. I'm trying not to watch CNN because <laughs> yeah. um, every time I turn it on, it makes me mad. Like I, I do feel like even though there's definitely the Western propaganda spin with all the other channels, there's also news happening there, mm-hmm. and just less, you know, debates among two pundits who don't know anything. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's it's actually been kind of nice and refreshing, and I really don't want to come back to the states because I do feel like I'm more informed here. But as what it is, visas are tricky bitches. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So, okay. Um, well, we brought you on because you have done a ton of research into uh, what's been going on in Ukraine over the last eight or nine years in, mm-hmm. on your podcast, Congressional Dish. And you have a couple episodes specifically that, we, that um, if you want to point people towards those, um, where you really go into great detail about about what's been going on, but just to start us off, um, th- thinking about in 2013, the there was um, a democratically elected government in Ukraine, and uh, the the International Monetary Fund was trying to get them to take a ton of Western money, right, in order to do. Uh, it had a bunch of caveats on it, so it was so they could build, you know, and work build their infrastructure and stuff. But somehow we were gonna. Can you tell us a little bit about that background? Sure. Yeah. No problem. So, um, essentially, back when so there was a president. His name was Viktor Yanukovych, and he was democratically elected. Um, and in 2013, he was in the process of of signing a, a treaty essentially with the European Union that would economically integrate his country into the West, for lack of a better term. I call it the world trade system because it's really bringing them into the world trade organization. You get in there with these trade agreements. And so he's working on this trade agreement. He was also working with the International Monetary Fund, which is like the loan shark branch of the world trade system. It'll loan countries money that they need, but in return, they're supposed to do these economic reforms to change their economic laws to match those of the world trade system. And there's always, there's, there's very common 
things that they request because the world trade system, as I see it, is really designed to free all the markets of the world so that the multinationals can come in and operate and profit everywhere. And so essentially what the IMF was asking Ukraine to do was to privatize their gas industry. They wanted them to cut subsidies that the people of Ukraine were getting, which were making their gas payments affordable. They wanted them to cut healthcare. They wanted them to cut education. It was really harsh things that were going to be unpopular with the Ukrainian people that the IMF was asking them to do. At the same time, Yanukovych was kind of playing the EU and Russia off of each other in these negotiations because he was also backdoor negotiating with Russia. And at the end of the day, Russia gave a better offer. Essentially, Russia was saying, we're going to give you $15 billion. It's a loan, but then you don't have all of these strings attached. We're also your next door neighbor. And oh, by the way, like, you know, if we cut off the gas to your country as they had done in years prior, that can really screw with you too. So there was like some sticks in with, the carrots. But essentially a week before Yen, he pulled out of it and partnered with Russia instead. Yes. So he was about to accept the offer with the EU one week before he pulls out of it. Now in Ukraine, it's a very polarized society. And so a lot of people in the Western half of the country are very pro-European Union. They wanted that trade agreement and they were pissed when he pulled out. People in the Eastern half of the country, however, were pro Yanukovych. They wanted the deal with Russia. So it wasn't like Ukraine was united in any way, but there were people in the country that protested his decision to pull out of the European Union. Now, these protests went on for months. And in those months is when our government decided to meddle in the process. And when I say our government, we're talking about the Obama-Biden administration, specifically Joe Biden, And a woman who was working at the State Department, she was the um, Deputy Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs. Her name is Victoria Newland, And she's a very, very important player in this story because she's actually back now. She's the person who's been negotiating on our behalf lately. So, but back in the Obama We we, we were joking about that earlier, how much of a, like a, middle finger that is to Putin. Right, it's just a f*** you to Russia. (laughs) It really is. To send that person into the room, like, that's just a bad faith move to even begin with, because, like, for people that don't know what I'm about to say, like, Victoria Newland was caught on tape three weeks before Victor Yanukovych was essentially thrown out on his ass. Um, You know, the protests (laughs) got violent. It's not entirely clear what happened there, so I don't want to get into those details, because I really don't know. Um, but essentially, there was a political coup in that country, and he was thrown out. But three weeks before that happened, Victoria Newland was, in the whole world heard this, she was in a phone call with our ambassador to Ukraine planning who would be in the next government. And the man that she chose, Arseniy Yatsenyuk, was in fact installed as the prime minister of Ukraine. I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. In terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. 
I, I, I just think Klitsch going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. And in that phone call, one of the things that went super viral about that phone call is that she said, F- the EU. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it. And, you know, the EU. Because the EU was trying to work out a deal where Yanukovych stays the president, but they were trying to, you know, work it out diplomatically. And that's not <laughs> how the United States played it. So it really was a United States move to, and I don't want to say it was just the United States that did this, but we definitely had a hand in it. And the, mm. the person that she named as the person she wanted in charge of Ukraine ended up being in charge of Ukraine. So it all looks super fishy. And then immediately afterwards, and this is how I found out about it, our Congress immediately started funding the new Ukrainian government, not only with money, but also with lots of weapons. We sent in trainers to basically build them a brand new military. And this has been going on for years and years and years. And so our government did have a very key role in the replacement of Ukraine's government. Vladimir Putin saw that the same way. And so immediately after the coup happened, we're talking like within two or three days, he went and took over a peninsula that hangs off of the south of Ukraine called Crimea. Now, Crimea was Russian until 1954, and it is also the home of his Black Sea fleet. So it's a very, very important military base for the Russians. They were renting it from the Ukrainian government, which up until this point was essentially a neutral government, a government that was negotiating with both the IMF and Russia, kind of walking the line in the middle. All of a sudden there's a coup government. And so what's he going to do? Keep renting the space from the coup government. So he took over the, the Crimean space. And like, that's what we keep calling the Russian invasion of Ukraine completely skipping the part of the story where there was a coup three days before and that he didn't actually have to invade a space where his military already was. So that's, I've, uh, I've been following this, the Ukraine coverage a lot. And, um, and one of the things that I just noticed everywhere from even, even, you know, NPR who, you know, I like to try and think of as relatively neutral as far as, you know, news sources go they they are very careful about where they start the clock right it's always with the russian invasion of ukraine it's like mm-hmm. wait hold on go back like <laughs> like three days <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's kind of crazy i sometimes have to do a gut check even myself because it's like how can this part of the story be so consistently left out um by all the western media outlets and it always is and so i think that's the part where you start to feel like you have a tinfoil hat on but Mm -hmm. the facts speak for themselves the the phone call speaks for itself the money Mm -hmm. that came from congress and and all the military trainers i mean they brag about it um and we know joe biden's involvement we know that because joe biden told us about it so it's Mm -hmm. like we're not crazy here but the media for whatever reason um and i think it's because you know i think this economic system that our side or whatever is trying to expand the media is a part of that you know like they are funded by these multinational corporations like they're all part of the same thing and so as i'm watching what's happening now from the lens of ukraine is stuck in the middle of this battle between economic systems um it everything 
everything makes sense to me. I'm, I'm pretty calm about what's happening despite like the horrific death. And it's, it's so unfair to the Ukrainians in every way, but, um, you know, this, mm-hmm. this invasion didn't start this month. There's been a right. civil war that's been incredibly bloody and horrible in the Eastern part of Ukraine for a very long time. It's been eight years, 14,000 Ukrainians have died in this war. So, you know, Putin even said that he sees this, he calls it a military operation. Most of us in the world call it a war, but he sees it as a way to end the civil war. Um, There's also some stuff that happened right before all this happened that isn't being broadcast. So for instance, about two weeks, maybe even a week before the invasion, the president of Ukraine, everybody knows him. He's a big star now, Vladimir Zelensky. He basically said that he's done negotiating with the people in the East that his government has been bombing all of this time with the weapons that we've been supplying. So negotiations were over. So it was like, okay, if you're not going to negotiate like the people in the East that are, they are like separatists, you know, they want to have this independent region. Um, there right. was an agreement in 2015 that the world signed on to where they were supposed to have some independence. Ukraine never fulfilled their end of that deal. So the the whole part of Ukraine's side in this and the U.S.'s role in this is being completely left out. It's all Putin bad, Putin bad. And like, of course, Putin is bad. No one's saying that what he's doing is good because like even our coup, it was a political coup. We didn't go and occupy these people's neighborhoods. So it is yeah. different, you know? Um, we didn't blow up apartment buildings. Right. But I should say, well, yeah. I, I want to add that, like, we're not, it's not that we're just sort of tacitly helping out because they want us to help out. The United States has has actual, like, interests here in Ukraine. They, like, there's the natural gas and stuff that you talked about. Um, but, like... They're, the, they're the protecting, pipeline. they're protective of it to the extent that, um, I mean, when Trump threatened to stop the funding, we, the, he was impeached for it. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that they impeached him specifically for threatening Ukraine necessarily. Like there's a lot of just political stuff that went into that. But, um, but like there were plenty of other, probably more valid things to impeach Trump for before that. (laughs) Absolutely. And it just shows you how important maintaining this regime change is to the Democrats. And, but there's a line, right? Because we're not willing to go to world war three for it. And I think Zelensky's (laughs) pretty surprised by it because for eight years, Mm -hmm. and he hasn't been president the whole time. um, Poroshenko was the president before him, but all of this time NATO has been doing training exercises with the Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. They've been using Ukraine as like de facto bases. They're not allowed to have bases there. So they have training missions instead, but like NATO's all over that country. Um, They were doing partnerships that were benefiting NATO. And I think Zelensky assumed that like NATO would be there for him. And obviously we're kind of leaving the Ukrainians to fight this for us. And so we're basically just going to throw a bunch of weapons at the situation and let them fight the battle that we really had a hand in, I don't want to say starting because, you know, Russia and Ukraine have had issues for a long time, but, but really, if you look at the situation without looking at what we took part in, in 2014, replacing that government, that really was like, it was corrupt, the Yanukovych government, but it was a democratically elected government. Like no one is saying that, that that is not the case. 
Um, and so we did this political coup and it just kind of started this whole ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the role that we can actually play here, like we're not going to go in and fight. We've made that very, very clear. Mm -hmm. So all we really have are our negotiation powers as the United States. And we're not even willing to speak to the Russians at this point. We're only going to be throwing weapons at the situation, which by the way, if Ukraine loses, guess who takes possession of all the weapons? So it's not right. even that smart of a right. strategy. Well, can I push back? Um, uh, and this Luja, is a nice transition. Luja Hadeen, anyone? Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oy. Um, I, I want to just push back a little bit on on something you said that, that um, all we're doing is selling them our weapons and uh, – but – um, we have actually been doing, uh, applying some economic sanctions on Russia and Russian assets. Um, and they've been banned from, so this has been getting a lot of, a lot of news lately. And, and I think, I think all three of us are on board with the idea that economic warfare is warfare, right? Right. I mean, now that's not to say that necessarily these sanctions are, particularly the the right ones but um what do you have what do you i mean what are your thoughts on these sanctions that we've been doing so there's like two different thoughts i have one is first of all vladimir putin said like they're gonna put sanctions on me no matter what so i don't care he said that the night before the invasion and i believe him (laughs) um so there's that like he just and he's he's actually like not wrong. Ever since 2014, there have been more and more sanctions applied to Russia. In fact, I saw something buried in a funding bill um, within this year. I think it was last year's funding bill that was applying sanctions on Belarus, which also mm. applied broadly to Russians. So, I mean, there's just more and more sanctions coming on Russians in these laws that like we don't even pay attention to. And it's been happening more and more for years. We never take them away. They're always at it. Now, this is a whole different level, right? Like we have the multinational corporations that are not required to pull out of Russia. Like before we got on the air, McDonald's said that they're pulling out of Russia. So it's now become like in vogue to pull out of Russia. Mm -hmm. And so now I go back to my big picture where this is a battle between two economic systems where the world trade system, they do intend for it to be global, right? And Mm -hmm. so the they invited China into the world trade system into the ninth in the 1990s, hoping that China would change instead of, you know, the world trade system having to change <laughs> to accommodate China, it like didn't go the way they planned. And, um, and so this is the first time in my lifetime that a very large major power in the world where they're attempting to go like, okay, you don't want to be a part of this system. You want to mess with this system, see how you do without it. And so they're cutting Russia off from the economic system and it's a big experiment right like we don't really know how this is going to go i think what they're trying to do and this is a educated you know it's not really a guess but the the play is you starve the russians economically in the hopes that they'll get so mad at how desperate they're becoming that they will overthrow putin and that's basically how the regime change happens now right we've tried this all over the world and it hasn't worked like venezuela is still being ruled by nicolas maduro they've been trying this there since 2017 so the strategy i'm not sure it's going to work and also you know 
we kind of have to pick our propaganda, right? Is Putin an evil dictator, in which case the Russian people had really no role in selecting him as their leader, and therefore we're punishing people that are really kind of victims here too? Or is Russia kind of a democracy, and therefore like the people can stand up to this person and overthrow him? Like it also just doesn't it doesn't kind of make a lot of sense to me when you look at it from that perspective. I mean, I just I I guess like I was here in Europe again in 2003 when we overthrew Iraq and I'm just kind of looking at it like my country didn't overthrow my next our next door neighbor that had been you know kind of replaced in this sketchy coup. We mm-hmm. went across the world and overthrew a country for really no reason. Like what we did was actually worse. And so I'm sitting here going like how would I feel if I could no longer use my credit cards or fly or, you know, like these are such harsh penalties. And even, even in a democratic country. Exactly. I had more of a role. In fact, I voted for George W. Bush because I didn't know any better. It's a, a vote that I will always feel guilty for. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. Um, and so in that case, had they cut off my credit cards, like there is a part of me that would go like, oh, maybe it's kind of fair. So I'm really torn on this. I'm not sure how I feel about it. But the fact that like the whole world is turning against Russia and it's the Russian people that are going to pay for this. I'm really uncomfortable with it. Um, well, so just as my, a person, my understanding is that the, uh, the, the, the so-called uh, oligarchs, which is, which is just uh, what people who like billionaires call billionaires that they don't like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Andy <laughs> says he doesn't like the term oligarchs. I love it. And I think we need to start using that in terms of American billionaires <laughs> as well. I agree. Everybody's, a, everybody's an oligarch. Uh, yeah. I, I, one, one, one way or the other though, I think uh, if you, right. if you have <laughs> so much money and use it for political, to gain more political power than you're an oligarch. So yeah. Great. Um, anyway. Uh, my original point was something along the lines of uh, reports are that they are even um, squirming in their boots a little bit, that they are pushing back against Putin. I mean, and uh, there's, at least in the Western media, the Russian military is getting lambasted as basically inept and like buffoonish. Um, part of me is kind of concerned that this pushes Putin the wrong way though and and gets and makes him double down i mean he's already he's already bombing apartment buildings and hospitals and schools and stuff like that um i don't know i i, I worry about a guy like putin because i don't i think about um and, and something that i actually heard on uh andrew heaton's podcast that w- with you that um he was talking about uh this realism and, and realism in, in terms of international theory and uh i mean I, I think it fits a lot of how putin thinks and nation states and, and power balance and um national interests and i think that uh i think that the west's insistence on pretending that he thinks like we do just makes things continually worse I don't know. Here's the thing. I'm, I, I'm trying not to be rude. Um, 
I think it's a big waste of time for us to pretend that we know how Putin thinks. Like mm-hmm. we don't know how Putin thinks. We know exactly what he's said. And then we, that's all we can really go on. And he's been very consistent in what he has said he wants right up until yesterday where he says no NATO membership for Ukraine. He wants um, a, a zone of demilitarization where, you know, NATO doesn't have weapons right on his border. Um, and what was his third one? <laughs> what was the third one? Demilitarization. Oh, and then he wanted um, basically like not just a demilitarized zone in Ukraine, but he wanted the weapons to be pushed back to the 1997 um, Mm. borders where NATO used to be. And that might be a step too far, but there are places here where we could negotiate. Like the idea that Ukraine is ever going to be a part of NATO at this point where NATO is sitting Mm -hmm. on the sidelines militarily, like that's an easy one. Like, let's just say yes to this. So this is what I'm talking about, where I'm looking at my own government's power. Instead of just throwing more weapons into this war, which is seems to be our plan, and then doing this economic war stuff, like, we do have negotiating power here. And we do have someone who I think is making demands that are not insane. Like, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. wanting NATO on his border is not insane. Well, so, but, but right. selling more weapons to Ukraine makes more money for Raytheon. Well, yes, there is that. And we're looking at like, it's insane the amount of money that we're talking about. So we're funding our entire government in one bill. Um, It has to be done by Friday. We are recording on a Tuesday. We still haven't seen the bill. It's supposed to be released in the next couple of hours. It's funding all 12 sections of government plus this Ukraine thing. And the rumor is it's going to be $13.6 billion for Ukraine. Whoa. So, Yeah. That's a lot of money. So, and that would be one thing if we were sending in food and medical supplies and vaccines or like whatever to help the people. But we know that a giant chunk of that is just going to be javelins. And again, yeah, yeah, and like we know that Zelensky has let prisoners out of. And here's the thing: like when it comes from news from within Ukraine, like there are reporters all over Ukraine. So I kind of trust the news that I'm getting from inside Ukraine, anything that's being said about happening stuff happening in Russia, like I I don't trust it because it's right. we're cut off from Russian media. Mm-hmm. But we know because I've seen it on like Sky News and BBC that, that basically like they had a lot of big strong dudes that were in prison. And so Zelensky was releasing them, giving them weapons and saying, go defend Kiev. So now we're going to throw more weapons in this country. God only knew knows who is going to get them. And then what if Ukraine loses? Like, that's one thing about the Western propaganda that's killing me a little bit is we're not talking about the very real possibility here that the Russians take Kiev and replace Zelensky. And then they essentially control all of the stuff that we're throwing into that country. Like that is just. Yeah. And to be clear, like that, that is basically just comes down to Putin deciding, yeah, okay, let's just do this thing. Cause he has the resource. I mean, the, the, the Russian army is, is, should be enough. The, the Ukraine resistance is partially is, I mean, it's, it's noble and everything. They're doing a great job and go, go them. But uh, I mean, they are as successful as they have been in large part because Russia is not really throwing what Russia can throw. Well, that and like, I don't know what you guys are hearing over in the States, but I'm watching, you know, the news here where every day the map of Ukraine gets a little bit redder with the red representing like Russia. So they're not going (laughs) fast. 
Um, it's, there seems to be this vibe that I'm getting out of like American Twitter where it's like, Oh, Russia failed. They didn't take over this giant country in three days. What losers, right. but it's like, <laughs> yeah. but they're I mean, still what, making progress. Well, what we're seeing, what we're remember seeing, how we treated the pandemic, you know, what we're seeing over and over is, uh, the, um, the Russian tanks stop 40 miles out of Kiev because they can't get enough gas. We're seeing, uh, the old woman, uh, putting sunflower seeds in mm. uh, the soldiers' pockets. What what we're seeing is like it looks a lot like uh, from our end that uh, Ukraine is winning because we have all yeah. these these fun like individual stories. Uh, that's I feel like that's one thing that American news is really good at is those like little feel good stories. Um, and we've been getting a lot of those, but not a lot of the big picture here. No. Um, and yeah. one more thing, if I can just say real quick, um, as a as a shout out, if you want to know what Putin has said, uh, I cannot recommend enough uh, the Congressional Dish episode, Understanding the Enemy, where you pull out a lot of what Putin actually said. Yeah. Um, that was very helpful for me. So, Good. yeah. Although, all right, I think that does, though, transition and raise a re- just a really important talking point, which is, you know, I guess... Um, why should we believe anything Putin says? Because we have no other choice. That's the thing. We're like, one of the thing that's bothering me so much about the punditry on cable news is you have all these people being like, well, Putin's doing this and Putin's thinking this. And it's like, he told you exactly what he wants. He has been quite consistent about it. This is what he said on the eve of the invasion. You can believe it or not, but unless we are given the information of what he said, then we can't even make those judgments for ourselves. So that's why I wanted to do that episode because I was listening to his speech and then I was listening to the punditry and they were not giving us what he was actually saying. We're getting guesses from people that are like, keep in mind that CNN has people like, like James Clapper on tv he's oh a former cia director for christ's sake or the no he's even worse the director of national intelligence he's like above mm. the cia director so they have these professional spooks that are on there giving their you know opinions but that's all like there was a time in our history where the idea of inviting the cia or any of these intelligence agencies to just go on tv and say whatever they want without being questioned, like that would be insane, but that is where we are. So we're getting like expert, (laughs) the experts that we are being informed by are the people that I trust the least. Um, So I don't trust James Clapper. I don't trust Vladimir Putin, but when he tells you, this is why I'm going to invade this country tomorrow, it's at worth, it's at least worth hearing what he's saying. And so that's why I did the episode. That's why I'm really disturbed that even here, like I tried to turn on RT and they've cut off everyone in Europe from watching that station. Um, My internet here in Europe, I can't get RT, but I have a VPN. So if I run it through Argentina, I can get RT and see the other (laughs) side. But like, how psycho is that? That we're in a place now where we have two two warring sides and we're just being cut off from the information from one of them. So we don't, we not only don't know what's going on from like, you know, the, the intelligence, the propaganda side of Russia, but we also don't know what's happening with the Russian people. 
So again, coming back to like the sanctions and stuff and how it's affecting them, we're assuming that the anger is going to go in Putin's direction. What if it doesn't? What if the anger goes in our direction? Like, there's just a Mm -hmm. lot going on right now. I think we have a massive global experiment happening. And I'm in a sit and watch in horror kind of stance. Like, I don't know how this is going to go, but nothing I'm seeing is giving me much hope because our country doesn't seem to be doing any kind of good faith negotiating and trying to, you know, calm the tensions. We seem to be doing things that'll ratchet them up. And I don't know where this goes. It feels like we are basically allowing for the inevitability that Russia will take Ukraine, but hoping to sell as many weapons as we can in the meantime. And then if Russia stops there, then just so be it. But if Russia starts to touch a NATO country, then what happens? You know, I'm not so cynical as to think that this is all just like a way to sell weapons. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I I know I have a problem. I am, I'm cripplingly like just (laughs) that way. I mean, there's stock portfolios in Congress that are absolutely going to go up from this. And there are psycho warmongers like Lindsey Graham that are still in Congress. So, I mean, your cynicism is understandable. Um, I think more the strategy is what they want to do is and they keep warning us about this right they keep saying like well this could take months it could even take years like (laughs) i think what they want to do is bleed the russians dry the way they did in afghanistan where basically like they suck them into this really long war with an enemy being the ukrainians that can fight enough so that russia keeps having the poor money into the war while at the same time being crippled economically by the sanctions and that's the long-term strategy for how to beat russia here without actually having to sacrifice a single american life to do it the problem is that we're sacrificing entire ukrainian populations and cities and like it's them that are going to pay and i feel like if we gave a single shit about their lives we would be more serious as american people being like wait 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 where can we find common ground with Putin? Like, I know that doesn't feel satisfying. I know that's not like, let's beat him. He's bad. Like, I know that that's like the satisfying thing to do. Yeah, but-, but if we really care about the Ukrainian people and their cities, this always ends with a negotiation. It's just a matter of when. Well, Ukraine in their cities or, you know, the whole world, because if, I mean, there's, there's, if this does not end with with a diplomatic solution, then it ends with a military solution between two nuclear powers, two of the largest nuclear powers. Well, and not necessarily. Putin, well, not necessarily. Putin loves to, Putin loves I mean, to like threaten that, though. And I, just, I mean, I've I've heard it three times from his mouth in terms of, um, well, we can't beat NATO. I mean, we we know full well that we that Russia can't beat NATO. But we have nuclear weapons, so if we all go to war, everybody loses. Um, yeah, I think he says that as a way to keep NATO out of the fight. But like his beef is very clearly with Ukraine not being a part of NATO. Like he just keeps coming back yeah. to that over and over and over. I don't see this as like, oh, he's trying to create a new Soviet Union. Like nothing in his speech indicated that. In fact, there were things that indicated to me the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I think this does stop with Ukraine as long as we don't be a bunch of psychos. Um, I mean, right now I'm looking at reports, they're unconfirmed, and I hope that they are wrong, 
but that Poland is giving like 30 jets to the United States to give to Ukraine. And it's like, what? Yeah. So it's like just the, <laughs> the weapons, we're not just giving them guns. If we're now giving fighter jets, I mean, at what point does this become like, okay, NATO, like you are involved. That's yeah. where it could escalate from there. Like there's, there's definitely right. danger of escalation. But when I look at like what couldn't happen here, I think Russia just wins in Ukraine. Like right. that's where I see this headed. Yeah. Um, right. But I and- think, and, and I, I, just to clarify, like I, I would include that essentially as like a diplomatic solution where like this objective is achieved. He has control over this territory. Yeah. He got it militarily, but like, to me, that's like him saying, you know, that's a, a diplomatic thing for them to say, and okay, we're done. This is it. That was because this yeah. was for a specific reason. And here's why this happened. We said that from the whole beginning. Anyway. Oh, that's what it was. Um, In his, in the proposal he made yesterday, he wants independence for the Donbass region and Crimea. Mm. Fine. Let him go. Done. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Done. Sure. Let him go. No NATO. Let, let those two regions be either Russian or independent. I don't give a shit and then let Zelensky control the rest of Ukraine and as long as they're not NATO and we don't have weapons there like I just don't see why that's not at least a starting point for negotiations but if as long as our official position is we do not negotiate with Russians as if Hmm. like you know Putin you can call him a terrorist if you want but he's a terrorist with nuclear weapons you're gonna have to negotiate with him once or at (laughs) at some point you know so we're doing the same thing we would do if he was just like a terrorist state and it's like, you know, these wars only end around conference tables with elites. And it's just like, I'm watching the Ukrainians pay for this battle between really Biden and Putin. And it's like, how many of them have to die before we have some kind of solution here, which is probably going to look a lot like Russia takes some territory. The question is how much and, um, and NATO not expanding. And instead, what they're doing is the EU is now accepting ac- applications not only from Ukraine, but from Moldova and Georgia. <laughs> so it's like they're doubling down on yeah. this. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I, I think one thing I want to acknowledge is I think a lot of the run up to this is you can understand where Putin's coming from. And like maybe you agree with it and maybe you don't, but like, him requesting that NATO uh, like fulfill its agreement that they had with like Gorbachev that they wouldn't expand after the USSR broke up uh, I don't think is unreasonable but Putin is a bad guy I mean there's no there's no sure. way to get around that I mean they've specifically been targeting civilians when they've been going through uh, this war in Ukraine and but at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. The, like, no matter how bad a guy he is, he still has nukes. And the way this ends is still at a negotiation table. Um, the problem is, like, when Ukraine has tried to negotiate, you still have, like, while you're trying to uh, get Russia to agree to a ceasefire, they're actively uh, bombing apartment buildings at the same time that you're meeting with them. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like. I don't, big I, asshole. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, it's stipulated and, big asshole, but at some point you have to find a way to make him stop. 
and Absolutely. telling right. him that like, we're not going to give in to any of your demands. Like that's probably not going to do it. Right. It's not he's, gonna work. he's out here. He's already out here murdering civilians. So what more? And if is we're he not going to fight him militarily, like if we're not going to fight him militarily, then the way that he loses is what the Ukrainians are going to beat the Russians. Like they just don't, they, they don't, don't have the numbers. Have pa- they don't have the numbers. They can't do it. So we, right. so we have to be ready to give up Ukraine, give him what he wants to get him, to get him to stop. I mean, he's, a, you know, it's, it's when a lunatic comes into, walks into a, a, a shop with a gun demanding the money out of your wallet, just give him your 10 bucks well, and that's the thing, right? Because right now, right now he doesn't have Kiev. He wants Donbass to be independent and he wants to keep Crimea. If we give that to him right now, if we get Zelensky to say yes, then Ukraine, most of it, the people that want to be a part of the EU, that whole Western section, they can keep Zelensky as their president. Like right now, Ukraine is not fully lost to Russia. If Kiev falls, this is a completely different situation. Then we're talking about an entire country instead of just those regions that border Russia, where there's been a civil war raging for eight years that, I mean, Putin was right about this. There was no signs of that ending anytime soon. So he wants to end that situation. He has put forth some proposals that I don't think are completely batshit. I think that they're at Mm -hmm. least starting points. We're the ones slamming the door and be like, we will not talk to you. Like, that's that's my main frustration here. It's like, right. if we're not going to go in guns blazing and solve this war, which I'm not advocating for, I don't want us to do that. It shouldn't be our fight. We shouldn't have been involved in 2014. We sure shit shouldn't be, you know, starting World War III over now. But if that's the case, all we have are words, if, not, if we're not willing to pick up weapons. Right. So... And the thing is, we have the absolute worst people in power to do this. We have Joe Biden, who was involved in the coup in 2014. And like I said, he has promoted Victoria Nuland. Mm -hmm. And she is the one who has been negotiating on behalf of NATO, which is horrendous to me. So just the slap in the face of that. It's I just I'm really ashamed of the way our government has been behaving. And I have very little faith that we're going to be reasonable with words and diplomacy with these people mm-hmm. in charge. Like I can understand why Putin would look at what we have been offering so far by way of negotiations and concluded that that's not, that that's a dead end and he's just going to have to take, take Kiev. Mm-hmm. Or at least scare Zelensky into making these yeah. concessions. And like, I did see from the Kiev independent and I don't trust them as a source. So just take it as it is. But right before we went on the air, there was talk that Zelensky was saying that he's ready to say that we'll never be a part of NATO, which that's just reality. Look at what's happening in your country. So again, like that's yeah. not confirmed. Um, they did say that it was from Agence France Press, but I didn't see that on their website. So mm. like until okay. I see it from like real news, I don't really know. But if that's the case, then this strategy might actually be kind of working because if he can at least get Zelensky to say that you know they won't be a part of NATO and Zelensky he's an interesting one because he was then democratically elected so we had the coup government the Poroshenko government with Arseniy Yatsenyuk like that was all kinds of tainted but then there was an election where they elected some comedian 
you know, mm-hmm. and everybody likes the comedian. He's a, he's a star now around the world. And so I think that maybe this is enough to get Zelensky, if the United States won't be reasonable, maybe Zelensky will agree to some of these things, um, especially Crimea being gone. It's been gone for eight years. I know there's a lot of like legit fights over the Donbass. There's a lot of natural gas under that, that land over there. But maybe this is a ploy to get Zelensky to the negotiating table. So it's like there's different people that can go to the conference table and solve this faster with words. The question is, are they going to? Mm. And that's just an open question. Well, and I will say uh, Russia may be winning the war war, but uh, the Ukraine is definitely winning the flame war in terms of like, <laughs> if you're looking purely at uh, internet social memes, media, yeah. right? Well, uh, and I don't, mind, I don't know like, that's we're good. Not, but we're not the whole world. That's the other thing that's killing me. Like we're acting like the whole world is behind Ukraine. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I mean, we don't know what's being said in Chinese social media or Indian social media or in right. African social media. I mean, in, in the UN, there was a bunch of countries that just abstained from the whole thing. So Western media, which is all we really have access to, especially mm-hmm. in English, yeah, they're all united, but that's mm-hmm. not the whole world. Latin America might be singing a different tune. Like we actually don't have an idea of what the world actually thinks. Right. We know what the world trade system countries think. And we know what the multinational corporations that run our media think, <laughs> but we don't know what the world thinks. Well, and it certainly seems, at least with China specifically, that they had some negotiations with Putin before this whole start, the whole thing started in terms mm-hmm. of they asked him to hold off until the Olympics were over. And it sure seems like maybe they are hiding some of his and other oligarchs wealth uh, in their country so that when these sanctions kicked in, they don't lose everything. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, right? Like you, you don't know what happened, but certainly they asked for at least the Olympic thing. And it sure seems from the timing that Putin, uh, went ahead and obliged them well and right before this happened i'm going to say it was like two or three weeks before the actual invasion china and russia signed a 30-year contract where russia is going to sell gas to china maybe oil too but they're going to build a whole new pipeline for it it's a 30-year contract and they're going to do the the um, payments in euros not in the dollar so like i said i'm looking at this from like a battle of economic systems the you know, the Obama administration, you remember their whole like pivot to Asia and all of that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what this is about. China is the big dog. And what's really interesting watching what they're doing is they kind of took the International Monetary Fund's playbook, where the International Monetary Fund, they go into countries and say, we're going to give you money and you change your laws to match ours. Well, China goes into countries and goes like, okay, we're going to build you high speed rail and a bunch of bridges and all of this infrastructure that you need. You just, you're going to let us own this port for the next hundred years. And so they de facto now own all of this territory, all over the world that they didn't conquer with weapons. They conquered it with gifts essentially. And mm-hmm. they're doing this, they call it the Belt and Road Initiative, it's genius, honestly. Like, if you just look at the whole thing as like, you know, like a global game and you take out, you know, the horrific implications of it, it's really smart what they're doing. But they're the ones that are really pushing the alternative 
economic system. So now you have Russia partnering with China. China abstained in the UN resolution. Like they didn't say, you know, bad Putin officially, but they also like didn't side with us. So they're still kind of keeping their neutrality. But in their statements, the Chinese have been like, oh, by the way, the U.S., really did play a huge role in bringing us to this point. So I'm watching the world crack into two right now with the world trade system on one side, the Chinese, you know, they don't really have a system yet, but they're kind of building one. Um, I could see this whole sanction situation. Like if the goal was to have the world trade system be global, well, cutting off Russia like this is going to force them to flee in another direction and look for something else. So this could backfire in a way that it's kind of amazing that this isn't being considered. Um, But I'm watching the world fracture like this. And then you have Latin America and Africa that are kind of on the sidelines, but making all kinds of deals with China right now. And so I'm really looking at like, I'm seeing the world crack into two. I was just to piggyback off of that. Like I I was just hearing um, from the economist, even, you know, a a pretty, pretty Western publication. They were were talking about that, that a lot of countries, a lot of these smaller countries, especially ones that have some of these ties to China or to Russia, like your Venezuela, your Honduras, your, um, uh, Iran, right? Uh, some of these, and not necessarily ties to to those to to Russia and China, I should say, but like they're antithetical to the Western conglomerate, right? They don't, mm-hmm. they, and and that it that this that these massive sanctions on Russia could very well have an effect of pushing a lot of those countries into the arms of China. Yeah. And I mean, just seeing those pictures of the people in Russia trying to get into the subway system and none of their cards worked. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a person, I'm imagining that happening myself. And I'm even looking at like, oh God, like, should I be hiding some money here in Europe? Like just in case, cause like, I don't know. Like just the fact that these multinationals have the power to cut off people from basic essential payment methods like this. Like it's really terrifying just as a person. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah it's interesting you know i work in um in anti-money laundering and um and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yep um a lot of fun and so some of a big part of what we do is is um tracking payments to people you know monitoring the fincen lists the uh the the uh ofac list yeah. um and so, you know, yeah, it's for real. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an no enormous joke. amount of power. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, even I'm sitting here just because I mean, obviously, I'm in adversarial journal, journalism <laughs> with what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Like, I'm I'm really messing with Congress by pointing out the things that they do that they don't want us to know. And so I do wonder, like, at some point, do I become the enemy? Like, are they going to cut off my bank accounts? Are there going to be sanctions because I've done wrong think? Um, and so just watching the way they've been able to cut off an entire country. And again, like, you know, I don't, I only know, and I don't really know a Russian. I went to high school with a really cool guy who met a girl he fell in love with. She's Russian. He's been living in Russia and we talk on Instagram and like, and so like, I don't know his wife. I haven't met her yet, but like, I care about a Russian. You know what I mean? 
And so as I'm thinking about what's happening to her, like, I don't blame her for Putin being in charge since we were 18 years old. I turned 40 next week. Like he's been in charge for so long. Like we were basically children when he took power. I don't blame her. And so I'm thinking of, you know, how can she fly out? Like, they've basically like locked her in without the Russian airlines or have they, I don't know. And like, can she use her credit cards? Like how's she getting food? Is she okay? Like these are people that we're talking about there. And um, I don't know. I just wonder like if I were a Russian right now, would I be hating Putin or would I be hating us? And I don't know. Right. Possibly uh, both. I mean, from where I'm hating both us and, and Putin right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> right. I think that's fair. That's and you fair. want you want to punish Putin. You don't I, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, at least from what I've seen, not in traditional media, but from online there, there are protests going on in uh, different parts of Russia, but it's not a place that handles pro, like that yeah. is very friendly to protesters. Right. Um, and-, I, uh, and, and I do want to be respectful of your time, Jen, but I uh, just to jump on that, um, I, I heard that over 6,000 protesters have been arrest- arrested in Russia. And it could be far more than that. We don't know. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like We're not getting any news out of there. And even if we were, again, we're talking about a place that doesn't, they're not exactly honest about how Correct. many of protesters they beat and they kill and um, they poison. Like, we don't know what's happening to the Russians there. But I feel like they, to go out in the street and to protest in Russia is a far braver thing to do than to do it in the United States. And we act in the United States. We have a problem with our police beating the shit out of us when we go out to protest. It's scary enough for us. So imagine being in Russia and going out and hitting the streets. Like those are really brave people. And what are we doing in return for that? Like we're going to economically starve them and maybe physically starve them. Like, I don't know what happens. Like, a lot of the world's wheat comes from Ukraine. Like Russians could die normal people because of these sanctions. Like these are the mm-hmm. harshest sanctions ever enacted. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I Right. Well, and I don't think we have any expectation that they're going to work and certainly not that they're going to work anytime soon. Um, it's yeah. just, it's yeah, all very that's bad. That's true. Like what's the goal. Right. And And I think the goal is a bigger play about economic systems where Ukraine is kind of like the, the, the match in the middle of it. But like, really, this is a battle of the world trade system going against Russia because Russia, you know, Russia made it hard for us to overturn Syria. Like this all happened at the same time where we were going to do exactly to Syria what we were doing in Iraq and Libya and Russia ended up sending up their planes. It's one of the reasons that I just couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she was promising a no fly zone over Syria, which meant shooting down Russian planes. Like here we are the exact same place five years later that I was afraid we were going to be in. It's just this time it's over Ukraine. Um, So I feel like this was always going to come to a head. And so I'm just watching the economic systems battle it out and if that's really the battle then the sanctions are kind of the goal you know like maybe they don't really want the negotiations because they're not really trying to solve the ukraine thing like this is a bigger battle than ukraine that's what i think is going on wow no i so (laughs) yeah i uh think (laughs) listen (laughs) go ahead nathan 
Well, I was just going to say, I think it's time to wrap up here because mm-hmm. according to my watch, uh, I'm uh, looking at, we have one minute left. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I, Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thank no. you so much for your time. I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Yeah, um, it was my pleasure. I always like talking to you guys. <laughs> well, we are, um, we're definitely hoping to make it to, uh, when, when's the next PodFest? So I'm not going to PodFest, but I am going to Podcast Movement in oh. Dallas. And that's Ooh. in um, August 23rd to 26th, I believe. I generally try to stay out of Texas. Yeah, me too. But I love podcast movement. So Fair enough. I can't awesome. help myself. Well, um, but yeah, I'm already committed to that one. So I'll 100% be there. Fair enough. Do you want to do your plugs? Uh, sure. My podcast is called Congressional Dish. Oh, the two episodes that um, the guys were telling you about, there was one called Keeping Ukraine that I actually did back in December when I saw that Victoria Newland of all people, was testifying <laughs> to Congress. Um, I was going Love for her. a walk on the beach and I was like, oh, this is testifying. I need to stop <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, and I listened. And once I heard what she was saying, I was like, okay, I need to make an episode out of this. So that was actually done in December. Um, where I just kind of told the whole story with, you know, you want to hear the phone call oh. that I talked about, like it's in that episode. So I proved to you that I'm not completely full of it when yeah. it comes to that coup. Mm-hmm. And then you can hear the testimony, all the things that they were saying in December. And then after the invasion, um, I did an episode really quick where I took the, the hour long speech that Vladimir Putin gave. And I pulled out the parts that I felt like we should hear. Um, and then what I did too, is cause there's a translator, right? And so when you're translating something, there's really long gaps and it's hard to listen to. And so my editor who is phenomenal made it easy to hear. So you could actually hear the sentences, you know, in a way that isn't having weird gaps in them, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we, we edited it. So it was, um, so that it was possible to understand what he was saying in a, a more pleasant manner. So, yeah, I feel like. I feel like with those two episodes after producing them, I have a good background on everything that's going on. And from here on forward, like I'm just sitting back and watching like, um, yeah, we're, we're (laughs) in the middle of crazy history. And I just feel like these are the moments where I want to stay silent and just absorb it and try and see the big picture. And, um, yeah. So cool. Well, thank you you again so much for your time (laughs) and your knowledge. And uh, my pleasure. hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, for sure. You know how to reach me, sure do. <laughs> which is on Twitter at Jen Briney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take well, care. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. And welcome back. We definitely all stopped what we were doing and listened to an hour of interview. And then now we're back. <laughs> Recording audio, not just five seconds after we had stopped talking before the interview. Well, I got to say again, I'm so grateful to Jen and she was just so well informed and, uh, it's, it's very generous for her to have spent some time with us. <laughs> I like, not with me, I feel like but... I don't, <laughs> right. I like, I feel like I don't have like the, the, an adequate way to thank, um, our guests when they come on. Cause I am. So genuinely pleased and grateful for their time. Um, I like promoting clearly, their stuff. Promoting their stuff is a good is a good call. Absolutely. Um, 
and uh, we I'm, we mentioned a bunch of times. Uh, I, she did talk about it. I'm going to make sure specifically those uh, two episodes that we talked about, episodes uh, 244 and 248 of Congressional Dish are in the doobly-doo. Um, but uh, you should just listen to all of it. It is all phenomenal. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. And, and, but, but the, I mean, we've, we've talked with Jen before. We, we knew the level of detail in her research that she does. I mean, she reads the actual bills right. that get passed and in Congress. Who she has time to read? She listens to the actual co- hearings. <laughs> she, what? Oh, I just got in. Who has time to read? Oh, well, not our Congress people. Uh, I'll yeah. tell you that. Uh, she reads way more of the legislation that gets passed than the people who pass it. I'll, I'll um, tell you what, if they started passing John Grisham novels as bills, those would get read because they are fascinating. Well, and a, and a great thing that comes right. out of that or, is that she picks up little nuggets, little tidbits like, um, the Ukraine defense spending, uh, the weapons that we right. send mm-hmm. over there. Like, I didn't know about that being nestled into spending bills, but she found it. Yeah. 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 Well, and the, yeah, well, and, and, you know, and the other piece is like, she's of, been doing this for a decade. Like she has the experience yeah. to know what she's talking about and to like, she's, she's not only doing research for this episode, but she's been doing research for a decade, which in podcast terms is a million years. Right. That's like the beginning right, of right, modern right. podcasting, basically. Right. <laughs> Take that, Joe Rogan. I mean, um, but going back to what Pat said about, uh, you know, what people slip into the bills, um, you know, we're, we're back at you here. Uh, and the interview with, with Jen was earlier in the week, but we're, we're on Saturday the 12th and just, uh, last <laughs> night, Congress passed a bill authorizing 13, bu- uh, billion dollars, 13 billion dollars in, in aid spending for, for, for Ukraine. Yeah. And, and, I mean, a lot of that, a nice big chunk of that is a lot of refugee aid and, and humanitarian aid. Um, but at least three billion is just straight up to get funneled into the pockets of Raytheon to ship more weapons over mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So, you know, it's with, which I, you know, the thing is, I, I'm, it's so difficult. It's such a frustrating situation because I don't want, I, I don't think it's okay to like let Putin just take Ukraine, right? That's not good because that doesn't, I mean, granted it's been harder than he thought it was going to be. And so that's a, a little bit of silver lining. But if, if he just gets to take Ukraine, take it over or whatever, Granted, we did the same thing ten years or eight years ago. I get it, but but right, it's not a Putin matter of like if and Russia. Right, it's not a matter of if we're the bad the, guy or Putin's the bad guy. Like Ukraine is not the bad well, guy. Putin is a bad guy, right. and Putin is a bad guy that is <laughs> right now. He's the worst. Pretty guy. much antithetical to us, and in legal and in, in like in cahoots with China. You know, there's been all sorts of reporting on various deals. That Russia and China have been cutting. Um, well, and it's and it'll be it's interesting. It's one of those things where he's being aggressive, and this aggression can't won't stand, man. So yeah, I want to <laughs> zoom out for for a second. This is a guy who, on British soil, 
was poisoning people he didn't like, like people who defected from his government or double agents or spies, um, twice poisoned people on British soil, um, tried to poison one of his political opponents uh, who exposed through, through drone footage, yeah, twice, who exposed through drone footage, <laughs> like, his lavish secret mansions that the Russian people hadn't oh, known yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, like, holds elections where they're just sham elections, or even worse, like, they'll take your name and address because you voted in a way that they didn't like. There's nothing about this that screams to me like, oh, you know, like, we should see things from his perspective. Now, I understand, like, Jen is giving us a lot of context here, and, like, it is important to understand that context. My sympathy doesn't really go to the government of Russia. My sympathy goes to the people of Ukraine and right. to a certain extent to the people of Russia as well. But like the the government of Russia is not really a sympathetic figure to me in this story. And and maybe that's just me I being western. No. No, 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 I get it. I get that 100%, but the problem is that Russian government still has a whole bunch of nukes. And <laughs> right, so sure. absolutely. Like to some degree, you still have to like somehow play nice with them or I mean like I don't know what the answer is because you can't let him do that, but you can't stop him. Well, like you can't stand up and say no, you can't do no, that I either. Think, so, I like, think Jen gave us what's the, I think Jen gave us the answer and it's incredibly uncomfortable. It's that mm -hmm. yeah. you can you can punish Putin or you can end the war. And I think that we need to sit down at a table with Putin, no matter what awful things he's done. And let me say, at the time of this recording, I've just uh, – so Russia has been trying to, no pun intended, gaslight people into believing that Ukraine, in association with the U.S., is making chemical weapons at the same time that they are giving chemical suits to their soldiers. So it sure seems like Russia is about to drop some chemical weapons on the Ukrainians. And there are rumors that they've been collecting the bodies of Ukrainian soldiers that they've killed to drop in to Chernobyl to make it look like there's been some sort of terrible accident and to uh, put forward some sort of false flag operation. Uh, who knows if anything will come of either of those. But the thing is, Putin is being a monster right now. And in terms of finishing this, it couldn't matter less. Because you still have to sit down with the monster. Because Jen told us there's one way these things end, and it's over a diplomatic table. It's when you make these deals with the monster to stop thing, stop it from happening. Right, and, and let's uh, let's not forget that's about what we have the, to do the chemical weapons use in Syria that, like, very clearly was Russia um, gassing Syrians. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, no. I think that's exactly like that, that's exactly right. The the only way that that the conflict ends is at a negotiation bargaining table. table between the governments, and that can either be before or after a war, like a world war. You know what I mean? Right. And I 
prefer before. I mean, personally. I might be the jingoist so. here, but like, you know, the reality of two nuclear powers getting into a war with each other is n- nobody wins. Like that that's a right. zero sum game. Well, and that's like literally what Putin Putin came uh before this all started. He came in front of uh some reporters and said, I know Russia can't win against NATO, but we have nuclear weapons, so if you start this, we all lose. So there's n- nothing he likes better than, like, threatening everybody with his nukes, and you you just can't ignore it. So I I don't know. And yeah. the Russian people aren't into this. The people are being arrested left, right, and center, and protests are getting bigger and bigger. Like, I don't think – I haven't heard from many people – uh, attacks on the Russian people as being responsible for this. It's This is about one uh, man. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I guess it sort of comes to the same thing, but there is another way that this ends. It is still sort of a negotiating table, but but it's a different situation if Putin is not the person negotiating due to internal Russian, um, let's say, Right, upheaval. and you guys covered this with Jen a little bit. Um, yeah. The odds of that happening, I think, are right. relatively Pretty low. low. Um, right. I think Agreed. this this might be the most likely time in history for for this to happen. Um, but you have to look at um, the the Russian propaganda machine is very very effective. The grip that Vladimir Putin has on power is very very strong. There might be unrest yes. and there might be like some certain percentage of people who are brave enough to go out into the streets. I don't think it's enough. Like I, I hope and wish it was, but I don't, I don't really see yeah. it happening while right. he's we're, alive. I think we're trying this because it's our only oh, move. Oh. Like it's, it's the only thing we can do because anything mm-hmm. else, like we can't, we can't start a world war. Like as, like Zelensky is, is, right crying for no fly zone is like is like begging for yeah, planes and we can't do it because then there that's world war three so we're we talked yeah, about this with jen but we're, from... we're figuring out where the line is and we're trying to go up like right up to it without going over it i think that ultimately the the hope right now of of the government is that by implementing these the economic warfare against us and trying to target um especially the russian oligarchs i think they're trying to target them i'm not convinced that they're doing that they're super effective yet from what i've heard but but they're they're changing and they're they're issuing new stuff constantly so you know whatever but anyway the point is um i think that by trying to target those the oligarchs they are trying to um basically loosen Putin's grip on that power that you were talking about right. because so much of his ability to control everything comes from those it's, it's, so-called oligarchs. It's, it's him being able to wield this financial power, which he does through the oligarchs. And it seems like through China now as well, um, there, like, there are some banks who have started opening up accounts uh, offering uh, instead of uh, these accounts being based on the dollar, they'd be based on the yuan. And so we'll we'll see. May, maybe like Russia switches over to using Chinese currency primarily 
instead of the American dollar, but considering so, I think China uses the American dollar mostly, it would be weird. It mm. might be considerably hard to get from the point of influencing the oligarchs to influencing Putin himself, just because right. Putin made all of those guys billionaires. And because he made all of those guys billionaires, they're basically like his lapdogs. Um, they don't wield significant power outside of Putin's influence. Their power is Putin's influence in favor. Um, I, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, the thing is that the Russian system is still kind of very closed and clouded and it's not really clear exactly whether or not these sanctions are going to be able to stop the oligarchs from being able to be effective. If the oligarchs can't do what Putin needs them to do, they're no use to him and his grip on power is loosened. I think that's the right. general thing. I don't right. think that they're necessarily trying to turn them against him. I think they're just trying to render them useless. As of, as of this time, the sanctions are not weak. The sanctions have been remarkably strong. They're not as strong as they could be. Um, but they are, they are trying <laughs> without the, the problem is that, uh, for a while we didn't want to interrupt the oil production because conservatives <laughs> are convinced, even though we've been telling them for decades that the president doesn't set the price of oil, uh, that the president somehow sets the price of oil. So Republicans are like, well, look, by they they're selling these like I did this uh stickers that conservatives are vandalizing gas pumps with. Biden like pointing to the price of gas. Um right. so it's it's become a political football here in the United States and finally uh, finally Joe Biden was like we're going to stop it. Now the thing is, we only import like 10% of our oil from Russia. So it really doesn't make that big of a deal. But if Europe were to affect that, I mean, that could be a big deal. There are also things like Germany has now agreed to, they were going to switch over completely to a uh, clean energy economy by 2050. And now they're going to do it by 2035 because they don't see Russia as being stable enough to provide the energy needs that they have through 2050. So in a lot of ways, Putin is shooting himself in the foot. I think this is going to push the world into a green economy faster because no one wants to deal with this bullshit. And I think it's great. Yeah, cool. I'm great with that. But the problem is that um, he's out here bombing hospitals and and right. And the thing is, I mean, so, and I brought this up in the in the chat, I think, um, at one point. But like, there's the part of me in the back of my head that that thinks, well, I mean, Jesus Christ, do we, should we just assassinate this motherfucker? Because holy shit, he's dangerous. Right. I mean, but there's no guarantee that the next person is any better than he is. In some ways, it might it might true, assure that the next true. person is more severe. And that's a pretty overt act of war. Anyway, like, right. Oh, yeah. You know, like when Trump did it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. Right. I'm not saying that I actually want that to happen. <laughs> right. 
I'm not saying I actually, like, that's not what, I'm not, that's not my reasoned, uh, <laughs> like, decision of what we should oh, do. Oh, sure, we've, that's we've just, all like, thought of it. There's, like, there's this thing that I cannot get rid of in the back of my head that's like, you know, maybe it'll just be better. I don't know. The reason I was able to answer you so quick is because I had already thought of it, because, man, it seemed like a reasonable solution <laughs> until I thought of why it wasn't a reasonable solution, but yeah... Right. It's hard to sit back and watch a bully, you know, bully a less powerful country and just have to sit on our hands and do nothing because of nuclear warfare. I mean, it's it's a very tough, like, psychological thing. And, like, a lot of people, their sympathies are with Ukraine. In fact, I mean... I think that it's it's a pretty small minority of people who are like, yeah, go Russia, woo. In the <laughs> um, West. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Republicans, but in, right yeah. in the West, mm, in the West, and um, the thing is that there's there's actually there's a lot of tie. There's a lot there's there's a lot of countries outside of like the Euro American sphere of influence that do have ties to Russia and China who are increasingly tied to each other. So like this is where it's not just Russia. Russia is not, and I'm not saying that like if, um, that other countries are going to go send in troops or anything, but, but if just to, to reiterate the point that if we escalated the, combat if we if like nato countries right. sent in troops other countries from around the world would definitely not be okay with that and would probably side with russia and just you know adding to the reason of why world war three could happen if that if we did that so like it is the most aggravating position to be in because all like you guys were saying, like all all I want to do, all all I can think about is, well, we should be doing more. We need, we should we should not be letting this happen. But but we we have but to. If we right put our foot down, well, right? It's like Kaboom. it's this chain of events, and and um, I don't know. I mean, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the the economic sanctions will be effective. I I mean even the experts even the people who are putting them in place are saying it could take months to years even before they really have like an yeah. inten- the intended effect. And again um, we we talked about that with Jen the, too. The more yeah. Russia ties with China, yeah. And so and the, the the more Russia just moves away from western economic systems and works and and moves towards China the least effect, the the less effective those sanctions are going to be, because they they just aren't going to care what, anymore. Right, we're and we're only going to damage. You know, we're only going to damage Russia. We're not going to effectively dissuade this war. Yeah, and I think the more right. our the the more our sanctions affect the the normal Russian people, the less effective they will be. Because as as Jen pointed out, at that point, if if I'm if I'm a Russian person who can't get on public transportation because you've cratered my uh, currency, you've cratered the ruble. Who am I going to see as the bad guy? Am I going to see Putin as the bad guy because the TV isn't saying he's, he's a bad guy, and the people on the streets aren't there anymore because the 
cops came and arrested them, I'm going to see the people who cratered my economy <laughs> as the bad guys. And I think there is one more thing that I think we could sanction very effectively that might actually do something. If we could just sanction some precious moments, I think it would clear all of this up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nice. Precious moments. Did I do it? Was that... I've been having some clean transitions this app. Really good. That, that was pretty clean. That was that was good. That was a good one. Excellent. That was a good one. Um, so my precious moment. I've been watching Matt's cat, um, Nora. She's she's a little. She's just lovely. Oh yeah, our friend, our friend from D and D, aka Nerd Gambling. Yeah, and she's just a bundle of joy. She she is really fun to be around. But you know, all cats have like different temperaments. She is like a very picky eater. So, like, the, the particular type of food that he left for her, um, like, there's a couple of different brands and then a, a variety of flavors. There's, like, one of the flavors that she really didn't like, and that's the one that I happened to leave out the first night. So she, like, barely touched it. I was like, oh, no, she's not eating. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then I chose, like, a different one, like, a lighter color, like, more fish-centric one, and she was, like, okay with that one. Um, she's really sweet, and it's just been fun to spend some time with them, and it's it's nice to be able to kind of, like, fill that role for somebody. Yeah. Like, um, I just like being able to contribute in whatever way that I can. Um, so that kind of gives me the the warm fuzzies to, to be able to do that for a friend. That's, um, that's really nice. So, and she's, she's really sweet and, uh, it's, it's nice to get a Does she, her. does she come up and ask for affection when you come over? So she is a like, little, does she let you pet her? Yeah, she does. But, um, she's a little bit back offish. Like, um, I've trained my cat to be like, um, you know, I can pick her up and she's like, Oh, well, you know, you're the one that feeds me. So like, whatever. <laughs> Nora is a little bit more standoffish. Like she, she likes to be pet, but she likes to be pet on her own terms, which I get. A lot of cats are like that, but she's she's generally been pretty pretty open and uh, pretty excited to see me because you know nobody's around right. for the hours that I'm not there. So she's I'm I'm the main event when I come because like nothing else has been really happening. That's awesome. But it's been a lot of nice. fun. Uh, she loves this little Spider Man toy. It's just like, uh, you know, like on a string, uh, with a little wand, but, um, she loves the little Spider-Man toy. So it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I want to get cool. in is, um, we can link this in the doobly-doo. There's a, uh, a lot of my perspective on this has been covered in a video called Putin Will Lose, Here's Why by Johnny Harris. It's, okay. um, it talks a lot about the propaganda war and uh what Putin's plan was for Ukraine and like whether he genuinely believed this or not like the idea was that he was going to liberate the Ukrainian people and that they were going to you know welcome the Russians with open arms clearly yeah uh, something that the US something that like the US expected to happen in like Vietnam for example um so like we've seen this script before it doesn't go well when you invade people and when you bomb their cities and when you blow up apartment buildings with people in them, like it, it generally doesn't go well. But that's that's the thrust of this video, and we can link it in the doobly doo. But um, I just thought it was a pretty interesting, if uh, a little bit propagandistic and like Western centric 
um, I thought it was still a pretty good watch. Awesome. So. Cool. Well, um, if it's okay with you, Nathan, I'll go next. Please. Um, so first I'm going to actually do, we have a, uh, a, a send in, I guess. I don't know what the term to use is. A send in precious moment. Oh, nice. From, uh, a previous what? guest, uh, Carrie. Sure. My name is Carrie Winteregg. I have been an attorney for 10 years. From the Kyle yes. Rittenhouse yeah. episode. Um, and Carrie sent this, this article from above the law. And the article headline is Kyle Rittenhouse gonna sue the media, comma, please send money. <laughs> awesome. Um, what? Awesome. Seems good. So Kyle Rittenhouse, who was re- recently acquitted of murdering two racial justice protesters in Wisconsin, is a fast learner. He's only been part of the griftosphere for a few months, and already he's kicking that money machine into high gear with a new organization dedicated to bringing it to the evil media. Quote, it's time to hold the worst offenders in our media accountable in court for their malicious and defamatory lies, he tweeted, announcing the formation of the Media Accountability sure, sure. Project. To, to... Quote, the, the official fundraising vehicle for helping Kyle Rittenhouse hold the worst offenders in our activist media accountable in to court. To be fair, he can't hold a normal job anymore, so you have to feel a little bit sorry for him, you know? Well, I mean, I no, no, I don't, but... <laughs> But that's, okay. that's also fine. Right. The last line of this article, um, so from uh, Carrie specifically, she said this, this line is just chef's kiss. So, why, yes, that is a person who shot dead two racial justice protesters using the words of a slain civil rights leader to raise money for his own doomed litigation. Looks like that boy is trying to murder irony now. <laughs> nice. That is a chef's kiss. I love so- it. Oh, that is a really good line. Thank you, Carrie. That's um, awesome. So, <laughs> thank you, Carrie, for that one. Um, my precious moment is not quite so, uh. <laughs> it's not quite Kyle Rittenhouse precious, but still up there. No, no. Um, so the other day, um, someone at my company, and my company has offices all over the country, Phoenix, Cleveland, Buffalo, Toronto, um, there's international offices. I mean, I guess Toronto is international, but like overseas, like it's a, a very large and widespread company. <laughs> when you, when you're saying the list of cities, I was like, in my, in the back of my head, uh, I was just hearing, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. <laughs> you gotta take it a little so, bit lower. Like, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Thousands of people work for this company um, at multiple offices all across the country and in other countries, right? They sent out an email early this week saying, hey, we just want to, like, let everybody know, update you that we're really not sure what's going to be happening with returning to office anytime soon. Um, we're keeping track of, you know, CDC guidelines and, and the state guidelines and all the states where we have offices and stuff like that. And we're, we're just keeping an eye on things and we'll let you know if anything happens, but we just wanted to check in with everybody and let you know, no, no decision yet on that. The next day, some guy 
Replies all. <laughs> this is never good for a career. <laughs> this, no, no. This, and it, I wouldn't say that it was scathing, but it was aggressively blunt. Basically saying, like, nobody wants to go back to the office. Why would you do that? If you send us all back to the office, you're going to kill morale. Oh, no. What, like, why are you even oh, considering no. this? <laughs> did he, did like, he swear or anything? Was just, he like... No. No, he didn't. But it was... It was. You gotta go all out. If you're, like, if you're gonna go out guns blazing, you might as well toss a little spicy language in there. I think it, for, if it were, I think that it was like just this side of getting fired over, but like certainly a, a conversation yeah. with HR. <laughs> um, but like, oh man, just, it was hysterical. And, and, the funny, like, I agree, I agree 100% with everything he said, I th- as far as I can, you know, I don't know what the pulse of the company is, but, um, so I wouldn't make any claims to that end, but, uh, I, I don't want to go back to the office, it's, I, I love my commute of walking mm-hmm. up the stairs, like, that's way better than driving 30 minutes. Well, can you imagine, like, if you um, had to go to work and you caught COVID because you had to go to work, like, and you and they didn't have oh, to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 being at home gives me the ability to do a lot more to help support my wife's business that she's trying to grow that I would not be able to do if I was working in an office. Now, I will absolutely one hundred percent openly admit that I would probably get more work done if mm. I was in the office. Not, I still get done plenty. I hit my, I, I have no, no problems with my production or anything, but like, because I wouldn't have other stuff to go do, I'd have to, I would spend that, I, I would be a little bit more like thorough about spending the time, but you know, whatever. I, I, I don't want to go back to the office. I am, I, I just got a promotion, so I don't, there's no problem with my production, and yeah, I if you're like hitting your goals, I mean, they can't. And really I have, yeah, right, <laughs> and I have the three cutest furry coworkers who come and sit on my lap and and, and hang out with me. So I'm talking about my. Cats, I've been seeing tweets primarily like for weird. engineers and things like that for very specific jobs, but. Certain companies are starting to say, all right, time to start coming back into the office. And other engineering firms are reaching out to the employees of these companies immediately after saying like, hey, do you want to come work for us? You don't have to go into the office. And they are poaching these people in these huge numbers and just saying it's the easiest thing ever. Good. So. Good. Yeah. Good, because then then it just becomes a standard that if you want to, you have to offer that if you want to be able to acquire talent. And talent, like, I think I, I think that it is, I, I well, all right, this is precious moments, so I will not go off on my <laughs> labor rant. What I will say is there is something to be said for the reasoning behind certain companies wanting employees to come back to work is justifying the big custom office spaces that they have paid for and built. And especially if it's like a big high rise downtown or even just like a large campus, um, there mm-hmm. is, 
there is a thought that some people, uh, some CEOs and upper management just want to see that space start getting used again, whether it makes sense to use that space or not for the employees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I will say that, uh, right. So, uh, again, precious moments. And, uh, <laughs> last thing, um, gentlemen, I swear it will not affect, uh, my dedication to beat a dead source, but I am afraid I started a new podcast. And, uh, um, what? Yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's going in a slightly different direction than what we, than what we've been doing. Uh, well, we'll miss um, you, but, for sure. Uh, we, I don't want to poach too many of our listeners, but I did want to drop the, uh, song for the new podcast right here. Let's listen to it. Frankie's Toy Love You. Gonna check out toys for you. Having fun all day long. Singing the Frankie Toy Review song. <laughs> That's adorable, though. I'm I'm already a fan. Oh, nice. <laughs> we. I... <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I was trying to come up with uh some like stuff to sort of dis- distract my uh, older nephew Frankie, and uh, he fell in love. We have these very specific. Uh, round, uh, microphones that we use. They almost look like old timey microphones. Um, and he was fascinated by the thing. So I invited him over and, uh, me and Lexi are also, this is not a joke, uh, gonna launch another podcast. Again, not going to affect our podcast at all, but he's been seeing that we've been working on that and I offered to do a podcast with him and it's called Frankie's Toy Review. And uh, I have no idea whether we're going to re- release it wide or not, but I will make sure to let our listeners know if there is a possibility for it. I will say I launched into it thinking like, all right, we'll do a cute like two or three minute podcast uh, about he he has this little like popper thing sort of like it's they become really popular uh, lately, uh, sort of like fidget spinners where you can like infinitely pop these like things that look kind of like bubble wrap. And so he wanted to talk about his blue car popper and uh he talked for 17 minutes about it. I kept on trying to end the episode and he'd be like, "Oh, we're not done yet." and then come up with something new to talk about. Um it was Some, something to think about. So, um, um toy unboxing videos are very popular on YouTube if you wanted to move to a video format. Um like do unboxings and or toy reviews um, could be pretty popular. I could put him in a fake mustache so as to protect his identity. The pink Markiplier it. mustache. Just uh, make sure to say, like, a production of Beat a Dead Source Studios. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Beat a Dead Source Studios, I really need to come up with a catchphrase. TM, TM, TM. Hopefully I gave you something to donate to Ukraine about this week. Link in the doobly-doo. Love you, bye. Bye. I don't think I can trademark love you, bye. I think a lot of people use that as a sign-off, unfortunately. Yeah, probably. Hey, we've come to the end of another great episode. And... First off, we don't do this enough, but I really want to genuinely thank our sorcerers on Patreon. You all make a bigger difference than you think you do. 
and we genuinely appreciate it. Other than that, you know the drill. Patreon, if you'd like to be thanked in the future. Twitter, if you want to say something short and snarky. Facebook, if you want to get into a long argument with other Eat a Dead Source fans. Instagram, if you want to see cool pictures of us wearing sunglasses and stuff. And I think technically we still have a subreddit if somebody wants to take that over. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll see you soon. Keep it real, dogs. To help cut down on bandwidth, I'm going to flip my video off to (laughs) hopefully cut back on robot voice. It's not meant as an insult. I mean, you could take it that way, but... No, not at all. It's fine. (laughs) This way I don't have to worry about my nostrils flaring or anything. Excellent. (laughs) There you go.